gentlemen welcome back to stories out of time and space the sci-fi movie review podcast i'm one of your hosts scott weatherly and i'm joined by julian julian how are you doing uh i'm doing great how are you doing scott i'm good i'm good i'm quite excited for today um we're jumping back into i suppose our our childhood and uh i'm interested to see how our views go for this because today we're going to be reviewing the star wars or star wars episode six a new hope uh, whichever title you take, uh, and whichever the views are, but uh, well, episode four, right? Episode four, so episode six, yes, yeah, episode four, yeah, of course, episode four. <clears throat> so, I, I should not be the one correcting this I, as no. the person who is less of a Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to admit the whole episode thing. It just even as a kid, it bothered me, um, but uh, yeah, we'll get on to that in a bit. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about Star Wars, the original uh, film from 1977, directed and written by George Lucas, uh, starring Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Alec Guinness, uh, David Prowse, Kenny Baker, Peter Mayhew, and Anthony Daniels. And that's just a few, really. Um, But let's start. So I'm going to just throw out there. So your first thoughts on on this uh, classic film. (laughs) <laughs> what are your thoughts well um it's interesting you talk about uh diving back into our childhoods because um i have to admit that when i was a kid i loved this movie um and i remember you know watching it not just on vhs but on laser disc i remember you know i had the toys i had uh a beloved uh empire strikes back blanket um, you know, I had all the gizmos and I grew up with Star Wars. It's in my DNA. But I have to say, I mean, imagine we were reviewing this in 77. Um, mm. you know, you're going through these actors and I'm thinking like, yeah, Alec Guinness is okay. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, this is not exactly a, a, a really a great movie or great performances. Um, you know, looking back on it now, I mean, I, I have to say it was painful watching this. It was painful mm-hmm. rewatching this for me. Um, it is so slow. Um, and what what I came away with, though, was actually I liked it more this time around than in, in recent viewings. Um, but what I came away with was the sense of design. Obviously, the music is great, but I mm-hmm. love the design. The design work is fantastic. Um, You know, the corridors uh, of the ship at the beginning, you know, the Jawa cruise is great. Luke Speeder, you know, the bar scene, you know, maybe hasn't aged great. But I mean, it's still cool to see all these different aliens, you know, the computers, the Death Star. The special effects are terrible, but the model work is pretty cool to see. Um, 
you know, so I kind of immerse myself in that design and I love the design work. I think it's just great, but boy, that plot is not good. And, you know, there's a lot that doesn't make sense and it is slow to me. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Uh, you know, I found myself thinking like, you know, the two of us have talked previously about, um, uh, God, um, not Buck Rogers, but, uh, what is that 1980 movie with a queen soundtrack? Um, uh, Flash Gordon. Yeah. Flash Gordon. Thank you. And, mm. you know, I, I'm kind to Flash Gordon because we all know that it's camp and it's bad, right? I mean, it's bad. Yeah. It has flying winged guys and, you know, <laughs> nothing really makes sense. And I kept thinking like, I'm more forgiving of that than I am of Star Wars and Star Wars is a better movie, but, um, you know, Star Wars is this kind of phenomenon and it's so wired into the, the DNA of sci-fi and of the blockbuster. And I think its influence has been largely terrible. Um, and I'm less forgiving of it than I am of Flash Gordon, which everybody knows is kind of at best camp fun. Yeah. So that's my initial rant, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> no, you... it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, it, I've watched this a whole number of times. You know, I've, I've got um, kicking around in the attic. I've, I've still got uh, the I've got them on DVD. I've got I've got them, I've got them on Steelbook Blu-ray, and I actually have still got in the attic the. It's probably not the best thing, but I've got this when they released the special edition on um, VHS. So, I've got the sort of the silver uh, Darth Vader looking box up in the attic as well. So, it, like you say, it's always been there. Um, and I've, but it's one of those films I've never watched with a critical eye because you, you just sort of go, oh, it's Star Wars, it's it's one of those things. It's sort of, I suppose it's a bit like to me, it's a bit like Goonies in that I watched it. I mean, this Goonies and Back to the Future, three films I probably watched like over and over and over again as a kid, and I've never sort of applied a critical eye to, and I do look back and go, if I was to go and watch one of those films and sort of, you say, disconnect that nostalgia and actually watch them and and actually watch them, like, would they stand up? Um, And I'm a little bit scared to do that, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I was nervous going to this one thinking, well, I'm going to, I'm going to discuss it and we're going to talk about it properly. And, um, there are flaws in this film, especially as you say, with the plotting and the pacing that were abundantly more obvious um, this time than they ever have been before. However, having said that, it was still like stepping into a you know like a warm blanket. You sort of wrap yourself up. You go, oh yeah, it's brilliant. And I, I there are things in this I love. Like, I love the world building. I love, uh, like you say, the design, and I just love some of the characters. However, like you say, it's probably not the characters that people expect. Um, I actually find uh, some of the main. I, but we'll get into it. But I, I've never warmed to Luke Skywalker. Mm. I, 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 I probably more so now he's a grumpy old man, <laughs> you know. But in the original trilogy, like I never really warmed to Luke Skywalker because I either find him in this to be a bit of a whiny kid, and then he becomes a bit of a sort of an arrogant dick later on. Yeah, and so. It, it was interesting. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I love this film. And um, there are moments that, like, you know, when you hear, like, that the, the 
20th century uh, Fox um, fanfare, and then it's followed by the scroll and all that sort of stuff. And then the music hits and all mm. that stuff. It's like, it, it's it, in my head, like, that's just a natural sequence. Like, I, I hear that, and it's almost, you know, like when you've heard an album over and over again, and you know when that what song comes next, and you're sort of like, you're one beat ahead of when that next start, song starts. Yeah. It's like that throughout this film. Uh, there are certain moments I'm like, oh, and that's coming next. Oh, and that's coming next. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have to say, like, when, uh, you know, there's sort of like the, the I was watching it with a friend, and there's the studio titles, and then that's, that sting mm. comes on as the Williams score starts, and Star Wars comes on the title. I, you know, I actually paused it and said to my friend, that was the best part of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um because of exactly what you're saying like i feel that i that war, that first note comes on and that that aggressive just insanely large title of a, which is a stupid yeah. title right i mean it's star trek star wars it's not really a war story but man i hear that music and i'm taken right back and it's like um uh, i mean the the john williams uh superman score does that to me as soon as mm-hmm. i hear that superman theme i'm a kid again um, so I definitely identify with what you're saying. Yeah, and I think like I say the music is. I mean, John Williams. Let's just be fair. Like John Williams is the, the three most iconic. And it, when you're a kid, like you don't think in terms of like who's done it. But for me, like you say, the uh, the main Star Wars theme, the seventies, the sort of seventies, uh, Superman the movie, Superman theme, and uh, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. uh, march. Like those three anthems, like they are anthems to me. They're amazing. So John Williams is sort of a, yeah, is is an icon. Um, and it is. It's just it, the moment that hits. I, I to fight that nostalgia is really hard. <laughs> well, I kept um, I kept thinking watching this. Um, th- I'm tempted to say this would be the this movie would be better with the sound off. Um, except for the John Williams score. Um, if you could do this almost as a silent, but there are long silent sequences anyway, you know, which I actually kind of like, um, that that's the case, but I mean, much of the dialogue is just not good. I mean, the acting is okay. The dialogue is painful in a lot of places. Mm. Um, and, but that William score, I mean, if you could imagine this movie without that William score, you'd kind of say like, oh, well, you know, this, this is not that great of a movie um the the great design work but um you know like that's true of many many movies that the score really tells you what to feel and brings you into the action um and when you see many movies without the score um they just don't work but i think that's especially true here but i I do want to say like this thing about like being critical right being critical of our darlings um i think you know look i mean I have kind of grown out of Star Wars to a large extent, yeah. but I was a kid. I mean, I, I went to see the world premiere of Return of the Jedi because my dad worked at the American mm. Film Institute. And I was like, I mean, I just thought that was the best movie ever. You know, I loved it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I this stuff is in my DNA, but I, I really think that there's not a space in our culture to be able to say, uh, you know, I like um, this Marvel movie or I like this Star Wars movie or I, I like, you know, Star Trek um, or, or whatever. But I am not pretending that it's great. Um, I happen to really enjoy a lot about the Michael Bay Transformers movies. They are not good movies. 
by and large. There's there's yeah. some things I would defend, but I mean, I am aware they are horrible movies and have racial issues, gender issues, all of it. But I kind of love baby Dinobots, and I know that is stupid. I know there's no reason for them to even exist, but I just see those baby Dinobots, and I'm filled with joy. And I, I mean, I think that it should be totally acceptable to say, you know, this movie has problems. You know, there's some stuff that I defend, but. Uh, you know, I'm not pretending that it's a masterpiece, but it makes me happy. And actually talking about the ways in which it makes me happy does kind of get at what's working in the film or not working. No, I, I, I do agree with that. Like you say, you, you should, you're right. You should be able to sort of hold it up to that critical eye and, and still say, actually, but I still enjoy it. And, and that, I think that's where we're going to get to with, with me on this film. Um because again, watching it again, like again, like I said I never warmed to Mark Hamill's um, Luke Skywalker, um, and you know, watching it, I've, I've always felt like Alec Guinness is 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 half in this film and half out in the sense of like, and you know, there's obviously all the the anecdotes and the stories of like he really didn't want to do this, and I think there are scenes uh, where it's abundantly <laughs> clear. Uh, and he's having, especially the scene when he's spouting uh, on the Millennium Falcon. You know, he's with uh, Han, and and, and he's uh, Luke is doing uh, the lightsaber thing with the little floating droid. Mm-hmm. You know, that's shooting the little mini lasers, and he has to start saying, you know, well, feel the force. And he puts the helmet on. You can almost see he's like, what am I saying? What what is this garbage? Um, and you can tell he's sort of like he's just thinking, I'm getting paid for this. I'm, I can retire. I'll be fine. Um, but the the one thing is though, like you say, when I, when I was a kid, and even now, like, I love the imagination of this film. Um, the problem I sort of have with it is, um, to me, and I don't know if this is just sort of just the way I am, is it never felt like a complete story. And so the fact that it had like that scroll at the beginning, and everyone goes on about it, so oh, it drops you in the story, and you you know you straight off to it, and you get the sort of the uh, uh, you know the the crews are coming over the top at the beginning. I was like, yeah, it looks great. But it's not a complete story. Like I, I do feel like you're, you're stepping into like halfway into a story, and even if I do that with comics, like if you start a run and you get you coming in at like issue four, then I'm going to go, well, I want issues one, two, and three, please, because I want to see how this started. Um, and I know it's supposed to be Luke's story, and you do get the information as you go, but it almost feels like you're being cheated on purpose. And I know sort of they said, oh, we wanted to do that because it felt like it was a, a pulp serial, and you know all that sort of thing, but. It, it it almost feels like retro, like they're retconning things because they didn't do so or because of this. Someone points something out, they go, oh, that's because of this. And it always felt that like they were retconning themselves to try and justify some of the decisions they made. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I was I was particularly excited when they were going to go back and do the, the prequels. And uh, one day we may talk about those because of the, the level of disappointment I felt with, with some of that. Um, again, I will say, though, although I was disappointed with some of the prequels, they're not as terrible as I think people say they are. Um, but yeah, with this, I think some of it's abundantly clear as you get older. You sort of go, okay, that's fine. But then there's others like, I love Peter Cushing in this film. Yeah. Like, I think I love Peter Cushing anyway. I think he's a fantastic actor. Uh, I'm a big fan of all this, his Hammer work and other stuff, but uh, his Amicus work in particular. But he's just so, he's, he, he's so deliciously evil in this <laughs> film. <laughs> 
and I love him for it because he he's sort of like he's obviously done all these horror films in the past. So for him, this is his bread and butter. This playing this character, and he's brilliant. Like uh, so cold, and 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 I'm sort of the, he's not in the film enough mm-hmm. for my liking. But yeah, that's the sort of the characters I like in this. There's lots of like little peripheral characters. I'm like they're brilliant. Yeah, I mean, you know, this thing about like starting in medias res, you know, I mean, that I, you know, I guess that doesn't bother me. I do think that it's hard to watch this for me. It's hard to watch this critically because I keep thinking of the sequels and the prequels, you know, and Mm. I hear, you know, I mean, it's like going back and reading, you know, uh, John from the Bible, you know, like you've grown up with you know, all of these people telling you what this means, it's really hard to go back and read it with new eyes and be like, oh, wait a minute, that's kind of contradictory there. That's not done well. Um, Because you have the retcons in your head, the explanations. So, I mean, I found myself, you know, saying like, well, you know, when Leia's talking about, you know, my dad says this, you know, and I'm thinking like... Mm. Oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, she clearly, like, clearly in this movie, that's her dad, right? Um, yeah, and you know, and it's a retcon that it's, you know, um, you know, the the guy and adopted, right? And yeah. you know, and and he's inserted into, uh, um, I mean, I think he's briefly in the special edition of uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I mean, uh, you know, the yeah, Return of the Jedi. But, um, yeah, you know, so, I mean, I, I kind of catch myself saying this stuff, like, you know, the stuff about Uncle Ben, it's like, you know, not Uncle Ben, but uh, Uncle Owen, you know, like, how yeah. did you get with them again? And, and by the way, Luke, I mean, Luke is a total dick to them. Um, I mean, Uncle yeah. Owen isn't the best guy ever, but it's like, eh, I guess they're dead. He, he mourns more for Ben Kenobi, who absolutely commits suicide, you know, um, you know, just, I mean, I'm getting off topic, but, you know, the, the whole Ben Kenobi death is like, I'm fighting with Darth Vader. What does it mean you're going to be stronger when you're struck down? If that's true, why didn't you just stab yourself with a lightsaber and get it over with? And then he sees yeah. Luke walk into the room and he's like, hey, Luke, now that you're here, I really want you to watch this. And like locks eyes with Luke <laughs> and just like lets himself die. It's so absurdly done. Yeah. Um, but that kind con- just, just to really convey that trauma, I'm really gonna hammer this trauma. Yeah, home. hey Luke, watch this. <laughs> you know, like now that you're here, I can die. Uh, it's so, so bizarre. Um, but that that thing about uh, that conversation um, while Luke's training on on the Millennium Falcon is is key to me. Um, and you know, not only is you're right that uh, um, you know Guinness doesn't seem into it, but you know, I also think that that dialogue is part of, you know, one of the deeper problems that I have with the story, uh, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, Luke isn't just a uh, whiny. Um, first of all, you're supposed to kind of identify with the talented kid who from the country who goes to the big city. Right. I mean, that's the story. Um, that's supposed to be yeah. a kind of every man's story and an American story you know, um, of going out and succeeding by your own wits, except really he is part of an inherited caste of privileged people. Uh, you know, his father was a Jedi and, you know, he's got Ben Mm -hmm. Kenobi watching over him and, 
especially as you know we get into the the sequels um you know he really is not the everyman that this movie wants him to be um he's a privileged shit and he has more in common with donald trump than he does with you you know he is part of an inherited you know caste system in which only certain people can use the force right you know that that talk about like oh you know the hypnosis scene irritates the hell out of me like oh they're weak minded yeah screw those stormtroopers mm-hmm. right we have uh, inherited our special ability you know that that let's not mourn for uncle owen cuz he's just a uh, part of hoi polloi you know he doesn't matter he's just a stupid farmer you have inherited this special ability and this relationship to the force. You are the lords of this feudal society and we're better. And that's why we rise to the top. The way he talks down to those, those fighter pilots, like, well, I used to bullseye womp rat. Oh, you know, go screw yourself, Luke. Uh, You know, it's so, and what I really hate about it, this is what, you know, what Guinness says there is like, your eyes can deceive you. Trust your feelings, your instinct. You know, when Luke says that to those pilots, mm. those are trained pilots. They've put in more hours than him. Um, there's a kind of like deep anti-intellectualism in this film. Training doesn't matter. Building the Death Star, those engineers are just yeah. stupid. All you really need is to believe in yourself. <laughs> I, no, I agree. It is. It's very sort of. No, no, I, I do. I do see what you're saying. That it is that sort of thing, isn't it? It's it's true. Actually, we say it's it's all about sort of like the um that special savior again, isn't it? Sort of like you've got the special power, like you are the chosen one. I mean, um, it's the same thing, I suppose, for the Matrix and that sort of thing, isn't it? It's sort of uh, the Luke is that chosen one. Like he can't he can't lose, um, and. I suppose you could take it the other way that, that that idea it's supposed to be. I can see you saying about the anti-intellectualism, but there's also the notion of saying that you know you you can do anything you want, and it's not it's heavy-handed and it's not particularly conveyed well. But if you believe in yourself, then you can achieve anything you want. It's, um, you know, Luke is a you know he's working on a moisture farm at the beginning of the film, and by the end of it, he becomes the hero of the resistance. Um, and he you know and he but he learns not only does he learn to, um trust his feelings and all this other stuff and yeah he's not conveyed well and partly i blame hamill's acting ability um but you know he, he also learns sort of say learns teamwork but he, you know he starts to sort of demonstrate it more than um just being selfish you know he sort of learns from alec guinness and then he sort of has to sort of cope with han and work with leia and it sort of forms that bond by the end of the film um so it's a growth story he doesn't grow mm-hmm. much but i still see it as a growth <laughs> Um, so I can see what you're saying. Cause again, if I was one of those pilots that sort of like, I've been fighting this resistance for years and then this kid comes along and it's like, well, I can do it. Cause I used to do this at home in the swamps and you'd just be like, Oh, you know, like you say, screw you. Like, you're right, fine. Do it kid. You know? Um, but again, I think this comes down to the fact that like you say, there's, there's the story this film wants to tell and wants to convey. And then there's this, there's the story that George Lucas wrote. <laughs> And I think what was in George Lucas's head and what sort of got, ends up on the paper and on the screen are, are slightly askew uh, in that in that way. And I do think it's because of, it has to land at his feet. Like, it has to land at George Lucas's feet that 
he he didn't know how to direct some of this cast to get what he wanted for this story. Yeah, I I think that's, that's completely saying. fair. Um, and you know, as you say, I mean, every you know every story about a kind of messiah figure is also a sort of like believe in yourself story, right? I mean, it's impossible not to watch The Matrix mm. and think, you know. Yeah, I identify with Neo and I could be that. And that doesn't really bear intellectual scrutiny, but you do feel kind of charged up and empowered by it. But then the two of us are white guys, right? So it's easier to say that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I do think there's that issue too. Um, but yeah, I agree with you about, I mean, ultimately, you know, like the, the whole believe in yourself thing is also... Uh, it's also about Lucas and where Lucas was when he was making this. Um, nobody believed in him. Um, when he was mm. directing this, uh, the cast and crew literally laughed at him as he was directing it. And Guinness, even though Guinness, you know, wrote these famous letters about every, every rewrite is worse than the last and how terrible this movie was. Um, <laughs> he, actually was you know because he was such a professional actor he actually helped get the cast and crew to follow lucas because he said look this is the director i'm a pro this is what you do shut up it's lucas's vision Mm. uh follow it so um so i mean i i think ultimately uh lucas had that vision he followed it through he's not in control of it it's not a movie that's in control of what mm. it's saying or what its messages are. And and that's part of its charm, too, is that it's a bunch of ideas. It's a bunch of designs uh, thrown together. Nothing really makes sense. Um, it's not a coherent world, but it is a fantastically designed world with lots of cool stuff in it. <laughs> and especially as a kid, that's what oh, you yeah. want, right? Well, that's... Oh, totally. And we'll, we'll get on to something that just triggered in my head in a minute. But um, one of the things I feel with this film, <clears throat> that, that, again, is, is Lucas retcon. And let's be honest, like Lucas will go back and tinker with anything, you know, when he ever gets the chance. Um, and one day we will talk about THX and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and his first film and see how that sort of stands up to this as well. But with Lucas, he, he always said about how he had all these sort of like all these other stories and this vision of a saga and all this other stuff in his head from the moment he started this. And again, like the number of times I've watched this and thought, no, no, you didn't, because this is clearly, as you say, a hodgepodge of ideas that you thought were cool. And that isn't a bad thing, because I actually think that, you know, the notion of Jedi... Um, is uh is quite cool you know it's this thing of like the sort of they're almost like the warrior monks and you go okay well so it's a little bit of like um shaolin it's a little bit of japanese uh samurai culture it's a little bit of this it's a little bit of that and he's he's taken them all and he's thrown them all in and for one film for me it works quite well you've got this notion of um like you say this warrior sort of like almost like a peaceful but warrior cast of of jedis that have sort of uh, special you know, special powers or have access to the force um and like i say as a sort of a, as a surface thing it works quite well but it shows it wasn't fully thought out because the amount of retcons and stuff that they've had to do to to sort of shoehorn in other ideas like you know maybe one day we'll yeah. talk about metachlorins and 
it, it shows that sort of like though I don't believe I do I, you know I don't believe this was as thought out as, as he has claimed since I do agree that I think this is a uh, almost on the hoof as he was doing it as he was going yeah I mean and it do, but it, it does give it a charm though I know I agree and and I think there's there's nothing wrong with making a narrative um out of like a list of uh, cool ideas that you want to shoehorn in um. You know, uh, there are great stories that have been made that way, but you hope that there is that other part of your brain as a creator that edits that, right? And that sort of brings it all into coherence with each other. And I think that, you know, Lucas kind of falls down on that point. And I I don't doubt that he had a saga in his head, but when you look at what he said about that saga... Like, he, he did not know Darth Vader was Luke and Leia's father. I mean, that's absolutely shown. No. Um, you know, I think it's kind of the thing where, like, he's making this movie and he's like, well, you know, I could tell a story about that Senate, you know, that's being referenced mm-hmm. a couple times. Um, I mean, we have the Senate disbanded and you don't even show anything, right? Um, you know, there is this reference to the Emperor clearly in this movie, he doesn't think the emperor is going to be important or the Senate is really important. It's like, those are stories I could do at another time. Um, but it's not important to the story. Um, so, I mean, I think that he might've had a saga in his head, but it was very inchoate and it kept changing the same way this movie kept changing. And when he actually sits down to flush stuff out, you know, ideas morph, very rapidly in his head and he introduces new ideas and it all just sort of changes. Um, if that makes sense, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's like you say, like you say, the story that he was, um, he, the story he wants to tell the mess he wants to convey, like you say, starts to get, as I said, isn't the story he was putting down, isn't the one that ends up on screen. And that may be that he started a scene or he started the story plot and, and, you know, he's excised an idea or he's added in an idea. And it's like you say, it's evolved. And um, so like you say, it does feel at times like the, there's not so much drop storylines, but there's sort of, yeah, there's drop comments about the wider world. But then again, I, I, to flip it over as well, I, I agree in that sense of, you know, you and I will do things, have conversations, or you might have a day or a week, whatever, and you might reference something in the wider world, but that doesn't mean you're going to provide full explanation about it you know otherwise it just becomes weirdly human exposition through your day um so i get that when they do reference things like you know um the uh whether it be the senate or the the, you know the empire or the the um the emperor and all this other stuff like you get oh okay there is a wider world but they don't need to explain it at this point so i'm quite comfortable with some of that but then there's others that you sort of go that sort of, sort of needs explanation <laughs> at this point, um, and I, I sort of feel that a little bit with the Jedi, when sort of like you know Alec Guinness is like oh it's a, it's, a, it's a dead order and it can do this I'm like so all right well I, I still want more information about what it is like you know I, and I always felt that and you get it and again like you say it's hard to sort of disconnect this from the wider my wider knowledge of of the Star Wars universe because I know what the Jedi order is I know how it works and all this other stuff. But watching this film, there are moments I'm like, oh, you. The explanations just feel a bit, you know. You're trying to train this kid, like give him something <laughs> more. Like I'm sat there with, like, you know, if he's the point of view character, like, you know, he needs more, you know, exposition. Um, 
and I do feel like there's, there, it wasn't there. Like Lucas couldn't give it at that point, which which is fine. You know, again, it's a kids' film; it doesn't need it. Coming out as an adult, I'm like, okay, I want a little bit. I want a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, still, the moment he's got the moment he's got a lightsaber, I'm pretty happy with that. Right, well. and 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 look, that's that's the epitome of what this movie is, right? I mean, the lightsaber doesn't mm. make sense. Right, you know, I mean, it's a it's a sword made of yeah. light that cuts things somehow, and the yeah. beam of light stops. I mean, it, but it doesn't make sense. It's cool, right? If it's cool, put it mm. in. Is the rule? Um, yeah, you know, uh, don't think too much about it, and that's fine. I mean, it it has its place. Um, I know what you're saying about the Jedi, and and I, it's really hard watching this, especially knowing what you know about the other films yeah. and you know the expanded universe and everything. Um, you know, the way they talk about it as a dead order, you know, this ancient religion, um, it, it really seems in this movie as if it's trying to do this sort of fantasy thing in which like there was this better, more noble time and it has fallen. And now that evil has taken over the land and that's kind of loosely mm. grafted onto the sort of Roman, idea of you know falling from a republic into empire um and you know really it's sort of swords and sorcery in space um you know it has structurally and in its worldview it has a lot more to do with conan than it does anything recognizably sci-fi um which is also one of my gripes against it is that it's you know Taken on its own, you know, this movie is fine. I, I actually prefer both of the sequels um, uh, to this, you know, parts five and six to uh, to this one. Mm. Um, I think they're structured better. But, um, well, taken on its own, it's okay. But, you know, the influence of that, of like, yeah, you know, how, you know, I always think like, how far away is any planet from any other planet? Like, none of it makes any sense. You know, it's just like, let's, let's, you know, get in our craft and, you know, we'll, we'll punch the button and then we'll be at Alderaan, you know, um, you know, there's this, you know, the whole lunacy of this escape pod, like, you know, you, you've got someone in your cargo bay and it's like, oh, you know, uh, there are prisoners, but somehow they launched an escape pod from the ship that goes through the cargo bay doors. Really? And then they're like, oh, let's not fire on that because there's no life signs. You know that robots exist, right? You know, like, you know, they're everywhere. You're aware of this fact. I mean, none of this makes any sense. But then that escape pod lands on Tatooine. And presumably that's because Leia knows somehow about Ben Kenobi and, you know, wants to send them to Ben. I'm not sure how she knows that. I'm sure there's some retcon explaining that. But... Tatooine must be really close to that star cruiser. Um, well, yeah, that, that's something that, again, I, I, I have in more recent years uh, scratched my head about. Um, and it was actually since Rogue One. Rogue One um, made me ask this question of Star Wars that I, I'd never asked before. Because, again, I'd sort of just, I'd, I'd pretty much always accepted it. But this notion, so in Rogue One, the recent one, you you understand how the the plans for the Death Star were acquired, um, and so the ship, you know, they're acquired and they they, they sort of uh, liaise with uh, Leia on the ship that, that you then see at the start of this film, 
and then they're being pursued by Darth Vader. Fine, all good. I kind of like Rogue One. I think it's a good film. But with this, like, they, they get on Leia's ship and she escapes and all this other stuff, and she's being pursued by by uh, the cruiser. Is it just coincidence then that in a galaxy that is, you know, billions of light years across? Because she didn't know she was going to have to dispose of them. Like, as far as she was concerned, she thought she was onto a winner. Like they were going to deliver the uh, Death Star plans, and she was off to the to, to join the rest of the Resistance to, you know, to understand what this Death Star is. So, is it just coincidence that, or was she aiming for, like you say, for Tatooine, that she ends up getting them to Ben Kenobi? Um, does she know he's there? And if she knows he's there, like, does she? What does she know of him as as who he is? And you know, it just, it just, everything starts. The coincidences started to pile up a little mm-hmm. bit because then I'm like, so, so, okay, so he was always been on Tatooine. So he's what? So then going back to the prequels, I'm like, okay, so he was obviously uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, and he actually helped uh, Leia and uh, Luke. He separated them, and he, he handled. So he's been on Tatooine all these years mm-hmm. with Luke, and so that's a coincidence. And it, I don't know, and it just so happens that Luke then buys the droids. <laughs> With right, um, with with the message in and and da, 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 da. and again, it's sort of like okay, it, it the coincidences start to pile up, and you've just, you've just almost got to roll on with it, you know. So okay, I've, I've got to accept that that the first twenty minutes of this film is just a series of coincidences. That's very true, and I'm glad you mentioned Rogue One because I mean I think Rogue One may well be the best of all of the Star Wars films. Um, you know, I it. You know, honestly, there's not a lot of competition, Um, you know, uh, but, you know, for an actual good Star Wars movie. Right. Um, Mm. But Rogue One is a solid movie. And, yeah, it's sort of, you know, it's amazing how how well it syncs with this. And people complain about uh, like, oh, well, that means, you know, she's lying. Leia's lying about um you know, oh, we're just we're just wandering around here, you know, uh, when Vader confronts him, confronts yeah. her. But that does that's not a problem for me. And it seems to me that all of, you know, like if you watched Rogue One, if you and then this, right, you watched all, I mean, eight movies, the ninth is coming out. But if you watched all of those, mm-hmm. maybe solo, but certainly Rogue One, Rogue One is such a good movie f- and makes sense and has more of a sense of the war of star Wars. Um, and then if you followed it with this, the difference in quality between those two is phenomenal. Um, I mean, it really is like, Oh, here's yeah. an actual good rogue one has its problems for sure. Um, it's not a perfect movie, but, uh, but it's such a masterful film compared to this. Um, and again, this is this is old, well, it, right? It, it, I mean, give it crop props. Yeah, I was going to say there's, there are two. There, like I say, so you're because you are right. And Rogue One does introduce a series of problems for this film. And the first one for me is that series of coincidences. Like again, it just sets up that thing, and, and I, I struggle to get past that a little bit at times. But I can, I can accept it. But the other one is Darth Vader. So in this film, Darth Vader is, he's cool. You know, they've set him up to be this sort of um, monolithic kind of sort of like silhouette. Do you know what I mean? So they hired David Prowse because he was a bodybuilder. He was, he was, a, he was a big guy, he's sort of like six, three, six, four. He's, he's, you know, he's wearing pl- uh, 
platform shoes in this anyway. So we think he's like six five in the full suit. Um, and they keep his movements minimal. So he's, there's a lot of like stillness in this film. Like, you know, he stands there and he's just imposing and then just walks out or it's just one arm being used to, to raise someone or to sort of do the force choke and all that kind of stuff. Like he is a very still, Darth Vader's a very still figure. He's just there to be like an imposing um, menace, in, you know, in the background a lot of times, all sort of stuff. Then you go to Rogue One and at the end of Rogue One, when he finally pairs up, like mm-hmm. he's an athlete, like he's, he's lifting people up with the force. He's throwing them around. He's twirling lightsabers. He's back, you know, he's like kicking ass. And like literally within twenty minutes, like he must have pulled a muscle or something, because by the time he gets to Star Wars, like he's just walking in. He's like, "I'm knackered. I've just taken out a load of those rebels. I'm knackered, so I'll leave the troops to do it." It it does feel a little bit incongruous at times. That's fair. Um, but it also does it, it does go to show, like you say, the 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 difference in um in period. But I would also say that I think that. Whilst I do like, I really enjoy Rogue One, and I do think the that, that Vader's appearance in in uh, Rogue One is brilliant, but it's a different Vader. As in, like that's set up to be a badass, like he's supposed to be a, a warrior. But I do kind of like him as this just sort of like menacing, um, you know, monolithic presence in this film. I just I just find it sometimes a bit more intimidating. Yeah, I I agree with everything you're saying. I mean, I think that that sequence at the end of Rogue One works on its own terms. It works for Rogue mm-hmm. One, but you're absolutely right. Um, you know, and that, and personally, I don't need, I don't need the badass, uh, Vader, but, um, I don't mind it, but you're right. It's incongruous. Um, there's even a sequence early on in this film in a new hope where Vader's sort of like coming down a corridor early on in the, in the, uh, in Leia's captured ship that is oddly reminiscent of, if you watch them in order, a scene you have just seen, uh, in which he is throwing people around with a force and yada, yada, yada. And the tone is utterly different, right? I mean, it's just guys yeah. on a soundstage and some stormtroopers with blasters. Um, so you're right. But I also think most of these, I mean, that's, that is, might be a case where I prefer the A New Hope version of Vader. Having said that, like those coincidences, those coincidences are there in the film already. Um, those are problems with a new hope that already existed. And I think going from the more careful structure and plotting and art of Rogue One to a new hope underlines how shoddy the plot of a new hope really is. Mm. Is it, I mean, I was just, I've just literally just been a look at, at sort of the other two. And I think it, it, it's funny that um, they always say that, that, you know, there are certain people that need an editor. They need like another voice <clears throat> to sort of say to them, you know, no, 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 you know that. Yeah. Go with that. Try to pull back on this and that sort of thing. I mean, this was written and directed by George Lucas. So he, it's his vision for, you know, for good or ill, it's, it's his vision. But then, like I say, when you look at the the follow ups, so the, the Empire Strikes Back, you've actually got Irving Kirshner now doing the direction. You've got additional people coming in to polish up the script, um, and then you know, obviously, that's then followed up with um, Return of the Jedi, and you've got Richard uh, Marquand doing the direction, and you've got again Lawrence Kasdan and others coming in to do and polish up the script. 
And so you've got those other voices that are coming in and saying to George Lucas, you know, yeah, so okay, yeah, let's really let's really push on that. So you know, and and hold back on that, and we'll do this, and we'll do that, and you know, I've I've never been deep enough in the sort of like the the behind the scenes lore to know what is fully George Lucas and what would have been those other people's voices. But I do see that there's clearly a, a you know another hand in that, and obviously there's others like Kathleen Kennedy and others as well that have been involved since that have then. Um, had that influence and sort of probably tailored what it is, you know, they've come in and he's gone, I want to do all these things. And they've gone, that's brilliant, George. Uh, we can do that and that, maybe not so much that and that sort of thing. And they've had to compromise. I mean, do you think that sort of has tailored the vision since? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny that uh, to look at the evolution of sort of the cult of Lucas among Star Wars fans, because mm. um sort of before the prequels came out, I think that was the dominant view was that among Star Wars fans was that, you know, this is so Lucas's vision. He controlled everything. Yeah. There were these other people who, you know, were script doctors or directed it for him, but, um, you know, but he did have full control to a great degree. Um, but then, the prequels came out and, and look, you know, the studios were still able to dictate stuff to Lucas. Um, not really true when it came to the prequels. And I think the prequels sort of showed, okay, well, when Lucas runs his own show and isn't and has the kind of clout where a studio can't tell him what to do. I mean, he, he essentially made those movies, the prequels himself and got a mm -hmm. distributor. That was not the way those first three films were made. Um, no. you know, they were made much in the studio system and, um, you know, although he got favorable terms, right. But, um, so those prequels sort of proved, uh, okay, well, Lucas is fallible, right? Even to Star yeah. Wars fans, they had to admit, okay, Lucas run crazy is, is fallible. And I think that, um, you know, while there are, problems with what what disney has done um and there's you know big debate about this and it's all political and everything i i think it's inarguable that the average disney star wars film while i've got problems with them is better than the average pre-disney star wars film um mm. you know those prequels are you know they're not as bad as everyone says they're ambitious some of it is very groan worthy but they're not great movies. I mean, A New Hope is not great. I mean, it, it's dazzling and charming, but it's not, you know, if it were released today, it would not have this kind of influence. So, I, I no. mean, I think that no, I, I agree even that. going back to the first one, you know, Lucas was edited and Lucas was censored. Um, you know, there's this famous story about the the early cuts of Star Wars. And Star Wars was supposed to premiere um, in December of 76 and was not ready. And the early cuts of Star Wars, you know, when he screened it and he screened it for Spielberg and a, and a bunch of other uh, sort of like, you know, the new voices in Hollywood. And everybody laughed at it. And back then it was using World War II footage you know, footage from other movies to simulate these TIE fighter battles and everything. And, you know, apparently it had like 40 more minutes 
on Tatooine that was basically mm-hmm. like just Luke hanging out and it was like um, American graffiti in space where it was just like Luke is this disaffected sort of young adult hanging out with his friend and, you know, are you going to go to the academy or not? And there was much more of that stuff. Um, and really the film was changed a lot in editing, um, not just with the additional special effects, but really minimizing that whole Tatooine stuff and maximizing sort of the space opera stuff. So, mm. so, uh, you know, the other thing is, I mean, Lucas was, was talked out of a lot of stuff. Um, there are reports that, uh, and I, I do think that the droids kind of steer the show. I mean, R2-D2 and C-3PO are, for me, the the most interesting characters and their bumbling misadventures uh, with the yeah. movie, sort of the first half of the movie really is that, is quite charming and works well for me. Um, but there are reports that originally, like, I, I think C-3PO was going to speak in a foreign accent and be a kind of racial stereotype that we associate with like Jar Jar Binks and, and, and characters in the prequels, all of those errors in the prequels were things that he wanted to do in the original trilogy and was talked out of. So, you know, he was edited even on this. Yeah. It's, it goes to show that, like you say, he's an ideas man. Like he is, you know, he's clearly got an imagination. He's clearly, you know, an ideas person. He's got those sort of things, but he needs, he obviously you've said like he, he had so at least some sort of uh editing going on um at this point um and you know i think like you say there are certain things that get through that 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 have gotten through that you do think okay that's pure lucas then that's that that's that level of imagination but um it makes me wonder then what what would have happened if it had been given more sway like would this have been the the juggernaut the you know the the pop culture uh icon that it is today if if he'd have had his full sway you know um would george lucas have walked away with four billion dollars from disney if he'd if he'd have had his own say on the on the first this first film um yeah that's really interesting i i do find that notion interesting I, you know you sort of see it on um in other things, there's other partnerships that you see that sort of they, that they temper each other, um, and then when you see them apart, you realise that they were better together. You know, sort of. Um, I I was massive into wrestling, uh, like WWF and WWE in the sort of the nineties and the early two thousands, and there was this big thing about sort of like you know Vince McMahon is the big head of it, and then Vince Russo was was the sort of the writer, and everyone was sort of oh they're at each other's throats. So and then you, what you realise was actually that that conflict between them actually created some of the best well for me at least the most entertaining let's say the most entertaining wrestling tv ever and then when they were separated like vince russo went off and did something in wcw and he, he literally killed the wrestling promotion and vince you know became incredibly bland at times and it goes to show that sometimes you i'm convinced that you need that other personality to act as an editor or sort of as a as an instigator or whatever but yeah it, it's just interesting for me, that like I said, this this isn't George's perfect vision, and and that's probably for the best by the sound of it. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I do think, I do think that look, he's a great ideas guy. I, I I do think that it's important to temper some of these visions and some of the people who I most admire as uh, directors and as writers. Um, you know, I mean, I think of 
writers who they get their first couple novels out and and they're brilliant, but then they just have too much clout and they don't really have to edit themselves Mm -hmm. and they don't spend, you know, three years editing the novel anymore. They just, you know, it's like, well, that's good enough because that's Mr. So-and-so. And then the quality starts dropping. Um, Yeah, I mean, I love this question of sort of like, if you had... Uh, some of these changes in Star Wars, if if we knew it closer to the original vision in certain respects, you know, I can't imagine it would have been quite the hit that it was. And it's so funny to imagine. I mean, basically, like, I think anything you do having bad mouth this film and there's so much I could say, whether it's, you know, you know, I love the torture droid, but nobody mentions Leia's been tor- tortured. Nobody cares about Alderaan, you know. Uh, how do, you know, they're just like, yeah. police do a more competent search than these stormtroopers do of the Millennium Falcon. Why do you have a, a monster <laughs> in your trash compactor? I mean, all of this is, you know, why do you have giant chasms that you have to swing across? I mean, there's so much stuff that doesn't make sense and is dumb. Um, but have, but it's yeah. still fun and imaginative and who cares? Um, but I mean, it seems to me that you take any change you make to Star Wars, you know, has ripple effects in pop culture that are almost unfathomable. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, imagining a scenario in which C-3PO is a, an Asian stereotype or something. I can't imagine what the pop culture landscape looks like 30 years, 40 years out. Um, it's yeah. really, you know, and I think most of the that influence has been bad. Um, you know, it's one of the things that most upsets me and disturbs me about Star Wars um, is that I do think that it occupies this kind of primal real estate in the history of pop culture and certainly the, and also the history of sci-fi, which, look, you know, both of us adore. That's why we're doing this. Um and I don't know that 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 influence has been good. Um, it is amazing how much sci-fi we got because this was a success. Um, studios, you know, look, Battlestar Galactica was invented to capitalize on this. I mean, we got the Star Trek movies instead of Phase Two because of this. Mm. Um, you know, Superman the movie is you know was influenced by the success of this um so i mean it's amazing the ripple effects of this film and some of those were positive at least initially as stuff got greenlit and money got thrown at it um and whole franchises were created in its wake and that's positive but you know it also inaugurated the whole idea of dumb blockbusters um you know, yes. it was pushed to the summer because the film was in a shitty state. The summer was not where you made your money back then. Movies coming out in December, December for the Christmas season, when, you know, the kids are off school. Um, that was when you made your most money. Summers weren't the time for blockbusters. And, you know, this really helped inaugurate that. And I guess we're living in an era in which I feel inundated by crappy CGI blockbusters with shitty plots and little attention to character development. 
And every time I see that stuff, there's just this little part of my brain that says, damn Star Wars. No, do you know what? It's, it's funny you say that because uh, we always, for, for uh, the sister podcast or the other podcast I do, 20th Century Geek, we literally were talking about the, the Terminator franchise and it seemed to be the same issue that we said, like, you know, I'm a massive fan of Terminator One and Two. Like, I love those films. And again, they've got their flaws, but I think that I think Jim Cameron is another visionary that that tempers himself, or at least did. You know, we'll see how Avatar goes. But um, there's this thing of like when you take that away and you look at the others, whether it be three, four, you know, so it'd be like, well, Terminator Three, Salvation, and Genesis. Like, there's this notion of it is. It's just bigger. You know, oh, what can we blow up? What kind of new Terminator can we make? Okay, now we're going to have four timelines, and we're going to have this, and we're going to have that. And at the centre of it, you're like, yeah, but the characters suck, and <laughs> I don't care. And that seems to be a real problem. And then you go back to the originals, and you go, actually, the first one was a really small film. It was, you know, it was filmed sort of guerrilla style for a lot, of, a lot of the chase scenes and other stuff. And the cast are tight, and they worked well, and they've used well, and I love that film because it's so tight, and also the stuff like it, it and it mm-hmm. knows the message going to say. And the same for two, like two's a really good story. Like you, you are, you know, the the fact of the matter is, like, yes, it's got some amazing action scenes, but the fact of the matter is that story is about, you know, the story is the arc of like Sarah Connor and all this other stuff, and I care about the people. And as we've said in this for Star Wars, like I didn't warm to Luke Skywalker. Like, I never have. Like, you know, people go on about him being their sort of their, you know their go to. Even like, uh, Han Solo, like yeah, I'm a little bit more interested in Han Solo. But again, like, but you know, he, he's never as interesting as I as I think people think yeah. he is. Um, and so like you say, the, 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 these films themselves sort of suffer from that, where they get the, the, okay, well. We blew up a Death Star in the first one. Why are we going to blow up in the second one? A bigger Death Star. And you go, okay, <laughs> fine. Okay, so that's that's the that's the, that's the the progress for the next two films. And you know, the the second one's got a darker element to it, and and that sort of thing. And then it's it's, it's lightened again because you've got the Ewoks, and it's it's like you say, the, there's never you know, it's I'm trying to think of the best way of putting it. It's an epic. Okay. This is an epic because it's about the resistance versus the empire, and I understand that there's like really big stakes and all this other stuff. But at no point do I ever really feel that there's a story arc. Like, do people actually, you know, really grow? Yeah, all right. Han Solo comes back at the end of the film to save the day, and you know, that's it's a great scene and all this other stuff. But I, I never really fully understand why. As an you know, as an adult, I love it. I think it's fantastic. The moment you see the the Falcon fly in and sort of all that stuff, it's 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 amazing. Um, you know, it can be a little bit fist pumping yeah. even even now. But I'm ne- I'm never fully convinced of of Solo's motivations. You know, I'm pretty sure he sold that medal <laughs> after the ceremony at the end. Yeah, I, I incidentally I hate <laughs> the medal ceremony. I think it's like the weakest ending of any movie yeah. ever. Um. But yeah, I mean, you're right. And we're left to kind of guess, like I always guessed, yeah, I kind of like these guys and I'm really hot for Leia. So, you know, and Chewie wants me to stay, but we're left to kind of guess, right? Yeah. And that's it. And there's there's, there's a lot of that of like, oh, it's just the right thing. They're the resistance. So of course it's the right thing uh, because they've shown us that the empire is evil. They've literally destroyed a planet. And you're sort of thinking, Okay, so why isn't the resistance more powerful? Like who who else in the galaxy is not going 
they just destroyed a planet. Should we not do something <laughs> about? Should we not be raising that as a bit of an issue? Uh, it it just well, seems like like you say it's forgotten as a sort of a an off hand comment. Well, I mean, nothing really makes um, sense. In the, I mean, you know, what is the, what is the academy that Luke's going to go to? That Luke wants to yeah. go to? What is that? I mean, he clearly hates the Empire and is fascinated by the Resistance, but. Obviously, that academy is part of the empire, right? I mean, it's part of the I, bureaucratic always, state. Yeah, I've always assumed. I've always assumed that was the case. Now, apparently, there is. There was supposed to be a scene, and I think this goes back to. I don't know if it exists or it was never filmed, but I've been told that you know the person he meets at the end. Um, what's his name? What's his best friend? His friend's name? I can't go for life for me. Is that Wedge? Uh, yes, Antilles. Antilles that's it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he sees he sees him at the end, and they sort of he he sort of vouches for uh, for Luke, doesn't he? he? Says, "Oh, he's the best yeah. pilot," and this other stuff. Apparently, there's a scene that's supposed to happen um, before uh, he meets uh, Obi Wan, uh, in which he sort of comes to him. He says, "Oh, you're at the academy," and Wedge is supposed to say, "Actually, no, I've left the academy. I've joined the resistance." Right, right. Um, and that's sort of supposed to be almost like the instigator of like, no, no, I, you know, you you want to be on this side. Because when you look at the plane, uh, you know, sort of weirdly, like yeah, when Luke is giving C-3PO in that, uh, an oil bath and fixing that, he's <laughs> playing with a toy, with a, with a toy, which I'm assuming must have been a prop for later in the film. I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a Y-Wing, which is an Imperial uh, uh, transport. So I'm like, oh, okay, so he, he is... Although he talks about the resistance and stuff, like he clearly has plans of joining the Imperial fleet. Like that right. must be his plan. Yeah, and I um, and I think the original the original script um, and that early cut, uh, w- his relationship to Wedge and Wedge going off and joining the Academy, uh, you know, and then you know that scene you referenced of him sort of saying, "Well, actually, mm. I'm in the resistance." That was a huge part of you know that original forty five minutes or so. Um, which, you know, I can't imagine how, how boring that would have been and how much that would have lessened the <laughs> idea of Luke as the individual, right. Who's making these choices. Mm. If it's like, Hey, my buddy did all of this stuff first and, you know, I guess I'm left here on the farm. Uh, guess I'll join him. Yeah. And that's it. Like I say, it would have completely lessened it. It would have been, it would have just been. You know what? Why is Luke special? It just so happens to be that he he's able to use the Force. Um, but, but I'm curious as sort of the other thing as well. Again, it's it's not something that's sort of uh, ever going to be covered and ever questioned. Is you know it's clear that people are Force sensitive. You know there there are people out there, and Luke clearly is. Look, he's he's had all these other things where he says, "Oh, I've been able to." shoot womp rats for years, you know, bullseye them, which is clearly him tapping into the force in some sort of way. Um, so there are clearly other force sensitive people out there. Statistically, pretty like there will be people in the Imperial fleet mm-hmm. that are force sensitive. And there will be people in the resistance that are, you know, to a degree force sensitive. So why not them? Yeah. Why is no one else gone? Do you know, do you know what sort of like that pilot is a really naturally good shot like we really should be putting him at the front of uh you know <laughs> blue squadron or black squadron or whatever like it it just so happens it's it feels like luke is you know he is he is neo he is the chosen one like there couldn't be nobody else but 
even later on, like they say, oh, well, yeah, no, Leia is your sister, and, and oh, she's Force-sensitive as well, and you sort of go, so there must be more. That, you know, that, Where are they? Um, yeah. And it's just, again, one of those things I've, I've just sort of ignored and sort of, okay, I mean, it's Luke's story. I, I don't know that the Force makes any sense, really. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of spiritual mumbo-jumbo, right? I mean, there's this yeah. life essence that is in everything. Um, and we tap into it to hypnotize people, to acquire skills of telekinesis, <laughs> to become really good shots. I mean, uh, it's basically like, this is what grants us our mutant superhero powers. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, this, I mean, is this supposed to be like, I know this was a long time ago in a galaxy far away, but is this something that pervades the whole universe and is around now? Like, you know, are animals possessed of, you know, like they have an aura that is their life force. And somehow if they tapped into it, they could perform telekinesis. Um, I mean, this isn't really something that's thought out. And as you say, I mean, I like the idea that some people, I mean, if you have to have a force that some people just are more sensitive to it, um, but as you say, I mean, it really isn't that Luke is the chosen one. And then later on, it's established, you know, really, this is a lineage. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the whole idea of, you know, knights, it's this is really a feudal, terrible society. And, and in the prequels, by the way, the Jedis are the bad guys. They are just horrible people who and the Jedi Order is evil <laughs> and must be destroyed at all costs. Um, if you really lived in that universe, you certainly would say that. Um, I, you know, does any of this really make sense? I mean, I get what you're saying, but you know, it's to me, the force is, uh, a sort of deus ex machina that just explains whatever you wanted to explain. And, you know, we're just going to forget that we can hypnotize anyone, uh, literally in the next scene in which let's get in a bar fight. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point, actually, yeah, because instead of chopping his arm off, he could have literally just said, like, you know, this is not the young man you were looking for, or, like, you know, you were calmed down, go away. It would have been... Well, and then he's... Yeah, and then he's negotiating with Han Solo. I mean, I guess you can say Han Solo is strong-willed, and the stormtroopers aren't, which is... There's that throwaway mm. line there. But does that mean that all the stormtroopers, in addition to being faceless... You know, there's that line about how, you know, we know that it was stormtroopers, not Jawas, because... Jawas aren't this good shots. And I think, come on, man. <laughs> the rest of this entire movie, the stormtroopers are going to make you know, animated Cobra from G.I. Joe look yeah. like crack squadron, you know? I mean... Also, you make a really good point there about Han Solo. Like, it, it would, it, it, if anything, it would have made the character of Han Solo even more interesting is if, like, you know, Obi-Wan had tried um, to, to use, you know, like the Force... Uh, suggestion on him and be like, you know, you were going to take us to Alderaan sort of thing. If he'd have done that and Han and Han had gone like, no. <laughs> like, you'd have been that would like, have been fun. Yeah, because then you'd be like, oh, actually, wow, he can't influence Han Solo. Like, you know, he's got, he's strong-willed or he's strong-minded. Like, that would have actually been a real feather in the cap for Han Solo and you'd have been like, oh, that character's cool. I mean, he's pretty, you know, how, you know, Harrison Ford is cool in this role, but yeah, um, it, it's funny. Sort and he of, would have uh, pulled that off. Yeah, and I think it would have been it would have actually it would have made him a better character, uh, and it would have actually made him sort of more interesting in the future films. 
especially his you know his arc of accepting um you know uh, G- the jedi and the force and all that sort of stuff by by the later films you know if actually he still couldn't be influenced by it um but yeah you're right like there's there's so many moments when like you say that could have just been simply they've just used the force and and they move on um but yeah Again, in fact, well, I've just thought of I've just thought of another one. There's, you know, he's able to use he said sort of like um, the force to, to, as telekinesis, able to sort of you know bring the the the, the saber to him and some other bits and pieces. Yet later in the film, when they're in the Death Star, um, Obi Wan mm-hmm. has to sort of precariously walk around some um, part of some sort of part of the engine or whatever to pull a lever. And I'm thinking now, thinking. Couldn't you have done that from a distance and just use the force to sort of knock him <laughs> down? Because he's clearly shown he's capable. So, oh yeah, no, and yeah. I think that happens throughout Star Wars uh, literature and films. That I mean, it's similar to superhero movies where uh, it seems as if the movie forgets that they have this power, right? Mm. Um, you know, like you see Superman doing stuff, and you and you think, you know, like you know, you don't have to hold that over you know, uh, a flame, right? You have heat vision. Um, (laughs) Did the movie just forget about this? And, and I think that's true. I mean, I think that there's a lot of the telekinesis thing happens all the time. Um, Yeah. I'm, you know, I mean, we're, we're nitpicking, but you know, it's, it's this kind of stuff that just makes me think, well, you know, it's not really in control of itself. I I did want to say, I, I liked Han Solo, but I always identified with the empire, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I always just, uh, you know, I liked Darth Vader. I thought Darth Vader was cooler than Han Solo. And I liked the idea of cavorting around the galaxy and having adventures and all of that. Um, I definitely identified with the good guys in that sense, but, you know, going back to this thing about the Academy and sort of, you know, the Senate and, and how this wider world works I never understood the rebellion. Um, it seems like the only really horrible thing the Empire does is blow up Alderaan, which seems like one of those like gratuitous moments in a movie where they make the bad guy just kill a dog just to establish like he's really bad. <laughs> and if you don't hate him, here's the scene where you're supposed to hate him. Um, but outside of that, what they don't really do anything that's bad. Um no, and this is this is the thing I said before about you know like you're saying that it comes in at episode four and you get the scroll and all that kind of stuff and I've always been like so what it, and that's the question I'm like so so why what why is the resistance resisting like uh-huh. what what is it is it you know and I suppose you I think you're supposed to just sort of okay it's, it's never really covered because then you get the prequels which gives you a complete cockamamie story about how they take over but. Just by calling it the Empire, I suppose it's supposed to be sort of, you know, insinuated that like, okay, there's expansion, there's imperialism, you know, it's, um, I wouldn't be thinking this as a kid, I'm barely thinking of it now, but it's sort of, you know, there'd be, okay, they're going over in sort of cultural appropriation, or they're going out and just squashing all these other things and taking land and da 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 And I suppose just that, that idea of Empire is supposed to be considered, you know, the, the evil one. All right. The resistance is the underdog, so straight away, you you have to side with them. It's almost like shorthand, isn't it? Sort of empire equals big bad. <laughs> that's it. That that's, yeah. that's all I can think of. That's, that's it. Well, I mean, 
I found myself like, uh, you know, there's that line in the scroll about how they're, uh, you know, they're trying to restore freedom. You know, and I think, you know, I don't hear the rebels talking a lot about voting rights. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm not sure what freedom they're talking about. Um, it, it seems it seemed to me, I, I think you make a good point about sort of just empire suggesting big bad and colonialism and exploitation. Um, you know, I always took it as like, you know, I, I, I saw the sort of like Roman parallel and I thought, oh, well, there's the emperor. Right. And it's not a republic. Right. It's not democratic. Um, yeah. You know, that's all that I, but that's so vague, right? And they don't talk about voting rights. Um, and of course, eventually, you know, you do get those prequels in which the Jedi are absolutely totalitarian. I mean, it's just don't, the people have no input on the Jedi Council and the Jedi Council basically runs the the, the whole show. Um, you know, and has massive undue influence over senators who supposedly are elected, although that's not even clear. Um that's true. They're like a religious lobbying group, aren't they, in the sort of prequels, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like the family or something in, in D.C., you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, they're like the Mike Pence people. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> sort of like, you know, if if they were to say that, yeah, Jedi, the Jedi Order doesn't, doesn't support gay marriage, then that would probably be going into law. It's It's a... It's a weird relationship, because they also say in the prequels on several occasions that they don't get involved in politics, and then they do. They're always involved <laughs> so, in politics. Yeah. Um, so again, this comes. I think this this, this clearly comes down to um, Lucas having that vision, but not being able to focus it. That's the, it's a vision, not a, a focus story. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I don't like the rebels. I mean, you know, I yeah. was thinking like. Um, you know, there are certain franchise. I okay, I love the fact that it's a saga. I love that it goes on mm. and I love sagas for all of their faults. Um, but you know, the, I, it occurred to me that like there are franchises in which the good guys are the empire, right? And there's mm-hmm. a rebellion, and the rebellion are, is the bad guys. Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's one of the reasons why, like, uh, GoBots always seemed a little silly, right? Because the the yeah. rebels, they're like the guardian. I know this is so dumb, but I mean, there's the guardians and they're the good guys, and then it's the the rebels, right? The the renegades, uh, yeah. And the, the renegades are bad. You know, it's bad, to, and that always felt a little too authoritarian to me. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting this like the way in which Star Wars kind of codifies. Uh, the rebels are the good guys in this narrative. And most of the franchises that I think succeed are ones in which, um, if not the good guys are the rebels, the good guys certainly are the underdog and we root for the mm. underdog. Well, the, the underdog is, is, is a, again, it's the easy go-to narrative, isn't it? it you know, the, as long as you can establish that your protagonist is the underdog, then, there's there's a sort of an or just think Rocky, you know, like Rocky is the ultimate sort of like underdog story. So you know, okay, he's he's you know he's a little bit he's almost over the hill. He's been given a chance. It's way out of his league, 
And I always, you know, if I think of the Rocky film, completely non-sci-fi, but the moment he <laughs> realizes in that film, he's like, I can't win. Like, I, I cannot win this fight against Apollo Creed. All I want to do is go the distance. Like that's, I want to be standing at the end. That to me is amazing. Like you go, mm-hmm. okay, that's that's an underdog story. That's accepting your place, but really trying to aim for something. Um, and you go along that story, and it's, it's in this, it's just it's just a given that the resistance, they're the underdog, they're a smaller force, they've got you know whatever. Um, and so, it, it, like you say, it just becomes that easy go to. Um, it's just cheap quick storytelling that they're the underdog they're the resistance um and you just you just you're supposed to side with them that you know and it's almost a given isn't it you're supposed to they don't they don't give them any justification for being that yeah um i mean rogue one has that you know rogue one starts mm. with you know a a family being you know executed um you know or a, a, a wife being executed and a kid running away um and you see just kind of like, oh, yeah, this is uh, a t- the Empire is doing stuff like this. Um, and in, mm. in, in the original uh, Star Wars, nobody says anything about like, you know, yeah, the Empire, you know, uh, decimated my people. <laughs> you know, it'd be so easy <laughs> to have the, somebody like wedge somebody say that in those those scenes. Um, nobody says anything like that. They're just like, let's kill these guys. And this is part of why I identified with the Empire, even as a kid. I thought, you know, these rebels just want to blow stuff up. The Empire (laughs) has made a base the size of a moon. I mean, granted, there are a couple guys who are mid-level management who are using that to blow up a planet. That ain't cool. But uh, this Empire has clearly got its act together. Technology is progressing under them. I don't see the rebels inventing an atomic bomb. I don't see them building, you know, space stations like this. They just want to blow stuff up. And I don't know well, why. Weirdly, well, yeah, you're never really given justification. And again, it comes to shorthand. They're like, because the sole purpose of the Death Star, I mean, they call it the Death Star. Like, it's not, <laughs> they're not hiding. They're not, they're not hiding in, in any way. Um, so you know, <laughs> you know, they're like the yeah, cool name. Um, so the you know, you said yeah, it's cheap, it's cheap, easy storytelling. It's like, <laughs> right, it's the whole the Death Star. It's basically a floating moon-sized cannon in space. Like that's it's there to destroy a planet. That's its sole purpose. And so you do go, okay, well that's pretty evil. You know, that's pretty bad. And um, you know, it, it, funnily enough, in again in recent years, there's um. There's a, there was a, a comedy show over here. Um, they did several things, but they did a sketch where it's the two of them dressed as Nazis. And they, at one point, they're like, um, are we the bad guys? <laughs> and they're going, like, and they're like well, no, no, we can't be the bad guys. Of course we're not the bad guys. We're winning. And they, yeah, but our uniform has skulls on it. <laughs> we're called a death squad. <laughs> and it's sort of like... It's just that realization. Like at some point, someone's be going like, "Death Star's not a great name." Like you know, <laughs> trying to instill fear. Like, fair enough. But, so it's not winning hearts and minds, yeah. is it? Like they, they are going for that totalitarian vibe, but it still it feels cheap. Like you're not being given justification. You're just being told, "Death Star are bad. Empire, okay. Well, they're they're the, they're the bad guys. Darth Vader's dressed all in black and will kill his own people. Okay, well he's, he's bad. It's sort of." Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's funny. It sure Some of them uh, back talk to Vader to a shocking degree that isn't consistent with the other movies. There are a few scenes mm. where, 
you know, they're dismissing the the concept of the force. It's like, yeah, you all remember these clone wars you keep talking about. Um, you know, yeah. this doesn't make sense, but, um, yeah, you think one of those, uh, guys would say, uh, look, uh, Lord Vader, um, we need to talk about branding. Uh, I'm thinking the space yeah. defense cannon. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, wouldn't it? That's the sort of thing is, is, the, the two things there is really one thing that's always bothered me is is, is continuity and being a comic you know both you and I sort of being comic his you know coming from history continuity means a lot so in this when they do refer to the Jedi as an ancient religion and sort of like you know your your old religion and your old ways and you go wow how old is this oh the last Jedi was killed about fifteen years ago <laughs> it's not that old really is it let's be honest um, it feels again <coughs> that when they, that the the history probably hasn't been thought out. He was thinking maybe forwards, but not back. Right. Um, but yeah, from a branding point of view, it's uh, you know that again, I find that the this goes into the to the design that when you meet the imperial soldiers, I mean the stormtroopers again called stormtroopers. Uh-huh. It's not <coughs> it's not a big leap to go from there to Nazi. But then all the uniforms are very um, simple lines. It's that very sort of. <coughs> excuse me very simple lines it's they're gray they've got that sort of insignia like you they're they're trying to tell you quite quickly that these are the bad guys but what i also take is (coughs) (coughs) i'll edit this cough out (coughs) good idea is that um the story comes down to in some cases science versus magic yes you know you've said that um, the, the Empire's invented this a literal space station that is a giant cannon. They've got massive space, you know, star cruisers, these huge, huge spaceships, which are a massive technological advancement. They're incredible. And then you see the, the this Jedi, and he's like, "Oh, we have a lightsaber. It's a it's the weapon of a sort of more civil age and all this other stuff." And you're like, "It's a sword." Um, <laughs> And you, and you know some magic tricks, like it's you know it's that thing, isn't it? It's magic versus science, um, and it starts to it's, again. It's that thing of like, well, I, I, you're right. Yeah, you know, you've tried to portray that the the empire is bad, but I can almost imagine that sort of again the scene from the Monty Python. You say the Roman thing. What have the Romans ever done for us? Well, you know, irrigation, uh, wine, uh, you know, education, all sort of stuff. You, what has the empire given us? Yeah. So yeah, what's the what's the empire given us? Or oh, inter interstellar travel? Oh yeah, okay. Uh, what else? Well, apart from interstellar travel, what else have they given us? Oh well, uh, trade routes, and uh, you know uh, a wider economic base. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, right. Know, it, it feels like you could easily implement that and and have that conversation where they're like, yeah, they are evil, but 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 they have done some really good things. Um, Right, I mean, ways and means. Of all these, all these planets. You know, I mean, Star Wars often, not so much in this film, but often kind of falls into the the silliness of like, this is the gaming planet, this is the forest planet, this is the you know, yeah. um, <coughs> and none of those economies are going to survive without trade. I mean, I can well imagine those conversations being, uh, being like, well, you know, uh, you realize that if uh, the Empire fell this entire planet would starve overnight. Um, you know, yeah. we specialize in uh, X and we trade it for Y and we, that's efficient. That's a good thing. Um, 
And I so that was another reason why why I sort of you know, I mean, I got the Empire was bad, but I, I, I sort of feel like, you know, I wanna be the guy who who just says, All right, Lord Vader, uh look, I know you've got this fear thing going and you believe that fear is a great motivator, but you also know you can only push people so far. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I'm glad you built your big space cannon. Let's just temper this with making sure that people are fed and you know you know the rebellion is a problem you know we want them to fear us that's great that's fine and that's just but it's just because we're also making sure people are fed and life isn't quite so hard on some of these you know stupid colony planets you know and well i think yeah i say i I think i think force awakens actually highlights the fact that they failed clearly for this very reason that they beat the empire right they or they at least they bring down the emperor uh and and um you know these sorts of uh, the the, whatever the associates with it but they don't implement anything to replace Mm it (laughs) so the first order is simply filling a, a uh it, it seems to me it grows out of I mean, it's thirty years, but it seems to grow out of um, a void of leadership. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. So, you know, you got the rebellion, but I mean, so actually, it's the rebellion, isn't it? But like the rebellion against the empire, but the resistance in in the Force Awakens. That's the, it's the resistance now. The resistance that is now is against the the, the First Order. It's like, yeah, but you had your chance. Mm-hmm. You beat the Emperor and the, the second Death Star. And you had all your fun with the Ewoks and all that kind of jazz. You clearly didn't then build up a suitable government basis to to, to bring all these planets back together. And somebody else right. did. Well, I mean, The Force yeah. Awakens, there's a lot that I like about it. But um, I'm fond of saying it's a film that can be destroyed in one sentence. And that sentence is, why is there a rebellion? Why is there a resistance still? Who yeah. are you resisting? The First Order isn't running the show. I mean, the First Order is more like a terrorist organization or something. Um, the entire point after uh, after Return of the Jedi is, okay, you won. You're in charge now. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'm always interested in sort of, I mean, it's part of why I hate the ending of A New Hope. I'm always interested in the denouement. I'm always interested in, yeah, you defeated mm. the alien hordes, right? But now the Earth is kind of a wasteland and it's littered with alien technology and a lot, you know, religion's going to change. Government's going to change. Technology's going to change. The world is a very different, is unrecognizable 20 years out. That is a more interesting story to me than yet another, you know, defeating the alien story. A more interesting story to me than the original trilogy of Star Wars is uh, the you know, weird bureaucratic trilogy that should have followed of, you know, Luke saying, oh God, you know, like I used to be a Jedi and, you know, remember when we were gallivanting around the galaxy with Han and now I'm managing the books and now I'm, you know, sitting here uh, acting as a diplomat, negotiating a trade dispute between these two planets I've never been to. Um, But, they're only going to listen to the great Luke. Uh, only my voice is going to keep them from going to war. And this is what I do now. And it's all I've done for 20 years. 
Yeah. That would have been, yeah, or a, a better story. That's it. Like, there's a better story than what we get. I mean, he goes off and he leaves them. He, according to this, he goes off and leaves them to it. He's like, well, you've we, we've caused this mess. You go fix it. You know, we've, we've caused this massive disruption to this intergalactic um, economy. Um, go fix it. Right. They're barbarians. Been... They're yeah. the barbarians at the gate who don't even want, who aren't interested in replacing Rome. I mean, you know, in no. reality, the barbarians that sacked Rome you know, when Rome actually falls, they say, oh, I'm the new Roman emperor. You know, they're, you know, they're, uh, this is not the way the world works. Uh, and, yeah. but, but the, if they are the barbarians, I mean, and, and, you know, we're talking about a new hope, but the point about uh, a force awakens is um, the franchise is so wedded to that concept of we're the resistance, right? Mm. We're the underdogs. Um, that even when there's nothing to be an underdog to, they have to just skip time and 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 not really show you the massive failure. I mean, of what the rebellion did. The rebellion is evil. The rebellion yeah. overthrew the empire and left nothing left. I mean, this would be like a, a terrorist organization that its goal was to take out, uh, let's say, London or Washington D.C. And you said, okay, well, what kind of society do you envision? Is it uh, a, a nightmare, um, you know, uh, you know, genderscape like uh, Handmaid's Tale or is it a utopia? And they say, oh, no, we don't envision anything. We just want to take out Washington, D.C. or London. And you say, really now? You know, you're worse <laughs> than the Handmaid's Tale people. Yeah. At least they have a vision. Yeah, and that's it. I think I think you're right. I think there's a there's a. This, you know, this idea of leadership, and I think this comes down to Hollywood as well. It, it comes back to other franchises I've covered that really seem to struggle with these these things, become, becoming wedded to an idea or a character. Um, but I almost wanted to see this idea of like there's a notion in the first in the original trilogy that that you know Luke could give in to the dark side, and he and he actually sort of you know there's several moments of give in to that anger. The Emperor says to him in sort of Return of the Jedi, you know, yeah, he's like good, give in. <laughs> maybe I, I almost want to see that sort of the michael corleone moment that comes years on yes. actually he's got he's got power and power does corrupt yeah and you know you see that moment when leia's like you know luke what have you done what have you you're starting to become and you know eventually you see him making those deals with the ukraine behind closed doors uh -huh. and it, you know that could, that's what I want to see. That moment with the, the doors, the doors closing, and Luke crossing the line to actually becoming the new, not even the new Darth Vader, but the new Emperor, like fully yes. corrupted. That's that would actually be the the saga. Like, that's where the that's where the Godfather trilogy works sometimes better as a saga. Saga because it's so tragic. You know that they they are willing to sacrifice both people and sort of the family, but with Star Wars, like you say, it's called a new hope and. It's supposed to be a, a you know, um, an, a brighter future, but they just can't. They're, they're wedded to that, aren't they? This idea of it being the resistance and the underdog, and it's like, well, maybe that's not what you need anymore. I, I, when they bring this saga to the end with the rise of Skywalker, I'm fascinated to see what they're going to do next. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but I think I think you are entirely right, and I think in those years between the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy, as I thought about, you know, you would talk with your friends about sort of like, well, what was going to happen next? You know, these were episodes four, five, and six, right? You know, what were 
what were seven, eight, and nine going to be? Um, mm. You know, in those endless discussions that I had, um, you know, the idea that Luke would assume this powerful role and inevitably be corrupted by power, that was absolutely what I was sold on. Um, and I think you articulated perfectly. Um, that should have been what happened. But, you know, it's a lot harder to sell that as a story. It's a lot harder to sell, you know, trade disputes and, you know, uh, I mean, they tried to do it in the prequels a little, but I mean, it's a lot harder to sell, you know, big budget sequels about those kinds of things than it is, um, you know, what we've gotten with the sequel trilogy, which uh, has some poetry to it, but um, in, in which, you know, the a Force Awakens is basically um, structurally, it really is a New Hope Redux, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, The Last Jedi is, you know, structurally, uh, I've looked at garbage fires that had more structure than <laughs> The Last Jedi. Um, but I mean, you know, as much as I, I'm a Star Wars detractor, I mean, I'm going to go see episode nine, right? Um, and I love <laughs> sagas, right? I mean, and I love to nitpick them and I love to have these conversations where we say, well, it should have really done this and it didn't have the courage or the smarts or whatever. But, you know, I'm a sucker for the continuing narrative and the franchise. Hmm. No, I think I think we've sort of I think we've we've reached a point, but just, let's just give a snippet then for final thoughts. So let's give some final thoughts to round out sort of uh, Star Wars uh, Episode Four: A New Hope. What's your final thoughts on this, then, Julian? Um, I I think it's a it's a great movie for its visuals. I think it's a great movie for its design sense, its music, uh, and its inspiring ideas. Um, I don't know that it's a great movie and I think that its influence um, is outsized and uh, we do well to diminish it. What about you, Scott? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I, I think, you know, I, I think, I think just your first sense, it's a great movie. And I think, you know, is the fact it's, it's a good, it's a great kids movie um, for me. This is, it's uh it's candy floss coated with some sort of uh faux um philosophy um i i came into it as a kid i saw it as a kid and i love it and i, I think you know as i said before it's difficult to disconnect that nostalgia if i'd watched this as, for the first time as an adult i think i would struggle with it more um i think this is a really entertaining um easy to digest uh kids film and that's I think that that's the that's the best way I can describe it, and it, it does sort of fall to pieces when you really press on it. But the fact is, there's a lot of films I really enjoy. As I said, sort of Goonies, not so much about Back to the Future, but you know, I'll put it this way: I really like Monster Squad, and that film does <laughs> not stand up. <laughs> um, so it falls in that category. I think it's a good, fun kids movie, um, and, I, and I think if it, people enjoy it, brilliant. Just like you say, don't try and quote it as a, a life changing experience, I think, at times. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think that's very fair. Um and, and also I just want to say because we live in this culture in which uh you know, 
we're we're gonna get angry tweets about this episode, Scott. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm pre- I, I'm prepared. <laughs> I, I've, yeah, I I understand that now. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I I so I I just want to say I'm a fan of people having fun. I love that you like Monster mm. Squad. I love that you like uh, Goonies. I mean, I, I I have Star Wars in my DNA. I like Transformers movies. I mean, I know they're stupid. That's okay. Uh, yes. We can we can like stuff and and don't have to defend it as the pinnacle of all art that is flawless and a masterpiece and. You know, it's okay to say it's got good ideas and and it's and it's good for what it is. Um, I I just think we need some some uh, sort of ability to do that culturally. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. And like I said, I you know, I having watched this, uh, having watched New Hope, I will go on and watch the others just to sort of work my way through it, ready for Rise of Skywalker, like most definitely. Um, and I do enjoy it. Like I do get that, like get wrapped up in that nostalgia, and it's it's wonderful. Um. But like you say, we need to be able to sort of criticise these films. We need to be able to look at them and say, do you know what? Some of it is a bit wonky or it hasn't stood up. And But do you know what? If you love it, like you say, all power to you. That's fantastic. You know, um, I have people that sort of, I I know this, this, this whole Marvel DC thing as well, where they defend sort of like, you know, the Marvel universe versus like Batman v Superman. I'm like, if you love it, love it. I've got no problem either way. Like you know, I'm, I like you say, I what I love films that I know are terrible, um, but you've got to be able to have those discussions and you've got to be at least honest to say, do you know what? Some of this doesn't doesn't stand up. It's only fair. Yeah, and um, if you love it, you win because you get a movie that you love and you get to enjoy it. I mean, I I kind of love uh, Rogue One. I mean, there's stuff I love about mm. Star Wars, but um, if you love it, you win. You get to a movie and a franchise that you love, and how awesome is that? Yeah, that's it. So you know, if you love it, love it. Um, and uh, you know, I think I think there's going to be a few of this. We'll come across others like this. I think on this franchise where you know we'll hold up some of those sort of sacrifice, those sort of sacred cows, and uh, and, and see how they actually fare. Um. Uh, you know, down the line. So, uh, speaking of which, what's our what's our next episode? Next episode, we're jumping forward a couple of years to another. I would say, uh, sacred cow. We're leaving the the nineties, uh, the nineties. Uh, we're leaving the seventies, and we're going into the early eighties. And our next film, I'm just going to double check, is Blade Runner. Yes. So you know, we're going um, to an well, I was going to say to a not too distant future. We've actually. <laughs> Right, we we passed it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we passed it, uh, and much like you know, two thousand fifteen, give me didn't give me a hoverboard. <laughs> I don't have any replicants either. So, well, boy, um, Blade Runner, yeah, that yawn film, fest, uh, you know, it's it's, it's such a terrible influence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to see how that one fares. But again, you know, we've got Harrison Ford, a very different Harrison Ford, I think. Um, and so, yeah, next up is, is Blade Runner. Um, but I will be fair, if you want to get in contact with us and you want to let us know your thoughts and feelings about um, Star Wars <laughs> and, and our opinions on Star Wars, or any of the films we did, Forbidden Planet, we did Solaris, uh, you can contact us on Twitter, and that's at pod time space. That's P-O-D-T-I-M-E-S-P-A-C-E, 
time sorry pod time space so please find us on twitter uh and let us know i'm sure we'd like to say we're going to get some angry tweets from george lucas uh <laughs> but julian it's been a fantastic conversation and uh i loved it scott it's it's been it's been a doozy so uh yeah <laughs> let's see let's see how we fare with uh blade runner next time but ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening